Hello everyone and welcome to an exclusive podcast brought to you by VJ Oncology. Today we will be covering the latest updates in lung cancer from BTOC 2022 and we will hear from esteemed experts talking about how prehabilitation can improve patient outcomes, understanding a next generation sequencing report in lung cancer as well as strategies to improve patient outcomes. To begin with, with Matthew Everson from the University Hospital of South Manchester NHS Foundation Trust talking about improving patient outcomes for prehabilitation. So I was um, asked to present about uh, whether we're ready for uh, routine commissioning of prehabilitation. Um, so prehabilitation is, a, is the process of preparing patients physically and psychologically for cancer treatment so that um, we better manage the impact of that treatment and that they recover quicker, less complications, and hopefully make long-term behavior changes in terms of becoming more physically active. Um, and there's a very strong evidence base that this works. So um, I talked about uh, an important meta-analysis that was published in the last 12 months uh, that really synthesized all the evidence for prehab uh, in lung cancer surgery. It shows it reduces post-operative complications by about half, and it reduces the length of stay in hospital by uh, over two days. So really significant uh, benefits to the patient and the healthcare system. But then you, we do have to think about translating that evidence into real-world service delivery and uh, developing models that are sustainable and resilient and uh, that can be scalable. So I covered the work that we've done in Manchester with a Prehab for Cancer program, um, which is where the, cancer, the regional cancer alliance um, funded the development of this program that collaborated between um, clinicians and the community leisure sector. So in Greater Manchester, there's a very well-established uh, leisure community leisure facilities. There's 87 across the region. Um, and by collaborating with that team, um, we could utilize that infrastructure to provide uh, prehab and rehab very close to people's homes. Um, and in the, in the two years that this program was funded, uh, around 2,000 patients were supported to prepare before treatment and recover afterwards. Um, and the, the program's had an independent evaluation recently that's shown it's been, it's been very cost-effective through the release of uh, bed days, critical care capacity, healthcare resource, um, and that it's demonstrating we're improving patients' fitness in an objective way. And really, most importantly for me, um, that there are long-term sustained um, changes in behavior and activity levels up to a year after the program. Uh, patients are significantly more active than they were at the time of diagnosis. So it's a program that can take that the horror of a cancer diagnosis and the trauma of that treatment and turn it into some long-term positive outcomes of people being actually more active and healthier they were than they were before the cancer diagnosis. Next up, with Alistair Greystoke from the University of Newcastle and Newcastle-upon-Tyne Hospitals NHS Foundation Trust, who explains how clinicians can decipher a next-generation sequencing report in lung cancer.
when you get uh, increasingly now in the uh, in England and in the other countries as well, but particularly in England with the onset of the genomic laboratory hubs, we're trying to move to the point where lung cancer patients routinely are getting next generation sequencing reports. And these are very different from clinicians uh, from the old days where we used to get one or two genes which might have been analyzed either by a single gene test or by immunohistochemistry. Uh, so you'll now get a uh, hopefully a more comprehensive report, uh, including all the biomarkers that can help us guide the care of our, our patients with lung cancer. Um, but some of those... Uh, Excuse me. Uh, but, um, you know, some clinicians may not be used to uh, reading these reports. They may find them quite confusing and, and not know how to integrate them into the care of the patient. So uh, what I've suggested in my presentation is a sort of stepwise uh, approach, into, uh, which is the approach that I use uh, when I'm reading a next generation sequencing report. Uh, so the first thing is to do is to see what's been done. Uh, whether it's tumor or increasingly some patients will be having having blood done through circulating free DNA analysis. The next point uh, after that is to try and work out, and this, I think this is the most difficult bit, is what's driving the patient's cancer forward. Because what you're hoping by doing these uh, panel testing is that you can identify something that might enable a treatment for your patient, uh, either through the NHS or, or potentially through a clinical trial. So what you want to do then is to uh, uh, try and identify the driver, work out if it's one driver. Uh, so for classic examples of that are the single genes that we used to test, such as EGFR or ALK, and there's a, a number coming through that we may want to talk about. Uh, but often in, in, in lung cancer, it may be, may be more than one. There may be two, three, four, um, maybe even more drivers. And so trying to work out uh, exactly how many drivers there are, which ones there are, and, and whether they're important. Once you've worked out the driver, um, and, and often the laboratory will help you with this, they, they'll tell you whether the mutation is, is pathogenic, i.e. actually affects protein function. They'll tell you whether it's previously been reported in, in, in lung cancer or not. Um, then you need to work out if it's actionable. Um, so by actionable, we basically mean what I was saying earlier, you know, can you take that patient's genetic profile and can you match it up to a treatment, either standard of care or, or, or clinical trial? And, and there's a number of resources that you can use out there. So um, ESMO produced this sort of tiering where, you know, something that's high, tiered highly, tier one, may enable uh, access to 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 treatment within the uh, NHS or with a licensed drug, and then moving down to sort of two or three where it's far more far more exploratory, uh, but where you might want to try something within a clinical trial if, if you can find one appropriately. Um, within the presentation, uh, I, I try to outline where there's a number of resources that people can potentially use. So um, in terms of trying to work out whether the mutation is a driver, there's a number of online databases that you can use. Uh, CIVID is one, um, but there's a number of others out there, Clinivar. Um, so I've, I've, I've highlighted people to those. And they can help you uh, identify what the consequence of the mutation is. Uh, but also whether it's been well reported in lung cancer before, you know, if you're seeing a mutation that's very common in lung cancer, it's more likely that it's a driver. And if it's known to be a driver, then a very rare thing.
but we do see rare things occasionally. Um, uh, so, so that's one resource. And then in terms of actionability, there's also resources for that. So there's uh, websites like Onco KB, um, but a lot of these are run from uh, America. Onco KB is run by the MD Anderson. Um, a number of them um, require uh, money. Uh, sorry. A number of them require licenses to allow full access to the databases, but in particular, because they're based around the, the American environment, so that, uh, when they're talking about licensed therapies, they may not be applicable in the UK, uh, and particularly when they're talking about trials. So if you are thinking about whether your patient might be suitable for a trial, um, there's some UK resources out there. Uh, so there's CIUK have a trials finder, which is open open to the public, um, and you can find through uh, through the internet very easily. But the uh, ECLSC network, the Experimental Cancer Medicine Centre network, has recently launched a, a trial finder. Uh, now, this is just for oncologists. Um, and the reason why that is is that it's got our own emails and telephone number in it. So it's, if somebody finds a trial, it's very easy for them to get in contact with the investigator. But there's understandably concerns about putting everyone's email and telephone number into the public domain. But the advantages are that it's it's very much based around what trials are up and running in the UK, including some of the early clinical trials that may not be on the big international databases, such as clinicaltrials.gov, or it may not be clear from clinicaltrials.gov that go for a particular patient population, you know, for a particular biomarker. So uh, that should hopefully be a, a really good resource for, for people going forward. Finally, we have Neil Navani from the Care Quality Improvement Department in the Royal College of Physicians. He'll provide an overview of strategies to improve lung cancer outcomes. So today I presented some of the data from the National Lung Cancer Audit that um, highlighted, I think, some of the challenges that lung cancer services have really experienced uh, due to the uh, due to the pandemic. And what I think is important is what we were doing in 2019 prior to the pandemic that showed that uh, uh, better outcomes for patients. Whereas in 2020, we've taken a, a significant step back, unfortunately. What I would love to see going forward is um, re-establishment of some of the real key initiatives that were shown to be working uh, for our lung cancer patients. So the things that I think um, would make the most significant difference would be the implementation of lung cancer screening. Um, we know the evidence for low-dose CT screening is, uh, is strong from the UKLS, from Nelson, uh, from the National Lung Screening Trial, from combining all of that data. We know that uh, there's a significant reduction in mortality um, for our lung cancer patients uh, with low-dose CT screening. It's really important that we, um, uh, that we implement that. If low-dose CT screening was a drug, it would have been licensed a long time ago and we would be using it. So we just need to uh, work on implementing it. To be fair, NHS England have upped their rollout of the lung health check program, and it's good to see that that is uh, gathering pace and that we have screening sites now uh, due to be set up in every cancer alliance around the country. I think screening is uh, a real important uh, part of the solution. I think there needs to be ongoing emphasis on um, 
symptomatic patients as well. So early detection of those patients by promoting um, uh, people's knowledge of lung cancer and ongoing awareness campaigns that in the past have shown to be uh, to be successful. So we need to we need to promote those, and we need to encourage uh, alliances and trusts and CCGs to work together uh, to deliver. Um, earlier diagnosis. Another piece of data I presented today was uh, the proportion of patients diagnosed via uh, emergency presentation. And that currently in 2020 was 35%. Even before the pandemic, it was 31%. So this is patients who are so unwell that end up in a crisis and end up in hospital uh, with lung cancer. We need to do more for these patients. So we need to uh, design and investigate and implement interventions that are going to reduce the uh, emergency presentation rate for patients with lung cancer. We then have a whole raft of newer treatments, exciting new targeted therapies, combinations of immunotherapy with radiotherapy and surgery. These are fantastic innovations, all of which are going to move the needle of, of lung cancer outcomes further as well. Um, so I think there's a um, variety of um, different uh, strategies that I think we can employ um, to improve uh, lung cancer outcomes uh, going forward. Thank you to our speakers and to you for listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review and subscribe on your favourite podcast app, including Apple, Podbean and Spotify, so we can continue to deliver our expert-led content directly to you. Follow us on Twitter at VJ Oncology to join in the conversation and visit vjoncology.com for the latest updates in the field.